scripture this morning is Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And our subject, political saviors. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, first of all, and then Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Political saviors. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly in riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the bull of an ass. And I will cut off the horse from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall keep peace under the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. And now Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. St. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find mass tied in a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoke, spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto me, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the bull of an ass. And the disciple went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and set him there on. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. A formula repeated over and over again in the New Testament repeats these words. All this is done. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. In very nearly the same word. It appears twelve times in Matthew, three times in Mark, six times in Luke, eight times in John. Even more common, too common to number because you will find it several times on a single page through all of the New Testament. Through the formula, it was just written by the prophet. Over and over again, thus, the New Testament tells us that history moves in terms of God's plan, that it is predestined by him. What 
God has declared he brings the past. Very plainly in all of Scripture, it is declared. What God has promised is declared that he will perform. Now we have seen in recent weeks, as well as in the past, that men, inescapably, whether they admit it or not, if they are logical, will affirm predestination. The question is, do they affirm it by God or man? There is no other position possible. The world is under law, total law. Or it is to be communicated. Is that law God's law, or is it the law that man imposes? The scientific socialist state deliberately affirms an anti-God position. It affirms predestination by man. Now, all of this is the subject of Scripture repeatedly, because Scripture is aware, since it is the Word of God, of the issues of life from the beginning of time to the end. The triumphal entry of our Lord, a false question, was in direct contradiction to the attempt of man to predestine all things, in direct contradiction to political saviors of the past, present, and future. The world of our Lord's day was very well aware of the biblical hope. They knew the scriptures. The world was in a time of crisis. And we do know from ancient records that from China to the Perfect, people knew that the Old Testament existed, they had copies of it, they were very much concerned about it. In fact, there were Jewish missionaries in most of these places trying to win proselytes. We know that many of the writers of some of these countries commented on the Bible. Cicero, that notable statist, spoke of it in 61 B.C. as barbarous superstition. He militated against everything that he believed, which was salvation by the state. It spread all the same because Many were longing, one scholar has said, and I quote, longing to believe that one day wickedness would be abolished, the arrogant would be punished, and a higher justice would be established. Unquote. This was the appeal of the Bible. Now, in paganism, men did have this hope. But when they hoped for the end of wickedness, for the triumph of justice, they looked not to their religion, what we would call their religion. There they went to the temple for insurance, for Easter. They looked to their political leaders. They believed in political saviors. Only when the hope of political salvation began to fade in Rome, the pagans talk, begin to talk about salvation, and for them it meant security. 
his slate, his politicians, his theorists, presented Rome as the city of justice, belonging to all humanity. His program was salvation for all the world. Cicero, for example, believed in political salvation and he hailed various persons who came along as patriots. For example, Octavian. He wrote of him, and I quote, In him we place our hopes of liberty. From him we have already received salvation. Unquote. Cicero also spoke of Rome as, quote, The light of the world. You can see why a certain type of conservative is drawn to Cicero, because he too believes in political salvation. And Cicero is one of history's great champions of political salvation. He has fittingly been a hero to the radical left, as well as certain types of conservatives. The Roman rulers, as you recall from history, were always dabbling with a calendar, always taking changes, rearranging the months. Why? Because when they came into office, it was the beginning of a new age of history, a new beginning. So they would begin the new year from their term of office, very common. Julius Caesar did that. He rearranged the calendar as Pontifex Maximus, the great high priest of Rome, as well as the ruler, and had the new year start at a new time. You recall, you not, from the reading of Shakespeare and Julius Julius Caesar, as well as from history. When it was the Greeks and the others planned and assassinated Caesar, the eyes of Mark, this is the part of the calendar today. The eyes of Mark had been previously the New Year's Day. And so they were saying, You're trying to start a new era as a savior. We go back to the old as the new savior. So they were going to save Rome and the world, political salvation, with murder, with assassination. With all of them, salvation meant the same thing, coercion, assault, killing, but to save the world by eliminating a certain element. Their idea of salvation was like the bed of Procrustes. The bed of Procrustes is one of the most graphic and interesting legends of the ancient world. Procrustes was a thief who wanted a legitimate excuse for robbing people. He wanted to make it. So he had a rule, he had 
Baptist ministries by the road that he ruled, and anyone who came there, he rocked legally, because the rule was that they had to sit the better for custody. If they were too long, he shot off their legs and killed them that way and expropriated what they had, and if they were too short, he pulled them apart, destroyed them, and then, of course, they were dead, so he expropriated what they had. The idea, of course, of the medical trustees is that you have a standard which kills everybody. You can tell them to meet it, and if they don't, they're finished. And this is the idea of political salvation. The political saviors have a better trustee. If you don't conform to their plan, it isn't that their plan is wrong, or if their plan fails, it is not that they are wrong, it is that you are wrong. So no matter what happens, the people are the ones who fail. Political saviors have a predestination, a procrustean bed, which is coercive and destructive. And yet men age after age have had the dream of a brave and noble leader on a white horse leading men into a new paradise. And this is why all the political stages of Rome, as others before that, that Rome carried into a fine heart this great men to parade. Building triumphal arches. To commemorate their parade, whereby they came into the city of the conqueror and took over and supposedly ushered in a new world. Now, men cheered them and still do cheer them, age after age. The only result of these triumphal marches are heroes on white horses is that men thereby raise up their own murderers to power and get a new paradise instead of a new dark street. Our Lord's entry into Jerusalem is called a triumphal entry. As the theologians have called it through the century. Deliberately so. Because they recognized that it was a deliberate parody on the triumphal entries of Roman emperors. But long before Rome's days, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied this entry. But it had been prophesied from of old that thereby the Messiah would come into his city, Jerusalem, in deliberate parody of all political nations. Let's look at that triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, realistically. Triumphal entries in those days were an emperor on a white horse, riding proudly into the city, with his legionaries row after row marching behind him, cast off. 
in their armor, with their swords, with their shields, give an impression of might, of power, of the ability to kill. Say the idea to people that no one can stand in the way of our hero. And here comes our Lord in fulfillment of prophecy, his triumphal entry, riding upon a path with a coat trotting along, and no army. Now, that isn't ridiculing the whole idea of a triumphal entry. I don't know what ridicule is. It deliberately made mockery of the whole idea. He asked. A very humble animal. Anybody who was anybody rode a horse. Or a mule. Although the Jews were not supposed to be Jews. A big animal, a noble animal. That was what a hero, a conqueror, was the animal of the common people. Very, very hard to look dignified on a donkey. It was a small animal. It's a very strong animal. It doesn't go very fast. It doesn't have a dignified crop or pace. And a man riding on it was riding on a very fast
idea of dominion is not wrong idea. In Christ's kingdom, dominion is restored to man who walks it by a fall. It is restored by his regeneration in Jesus Christ. We are told by St. Paul that the resurrection destroys the dominion of death, therefore sin shall not have dominion over you. Man is free into dominion. And his dominion now comes by obedience to the law of word of God and work in terms of it. The symbol of his triumphal entry was the ass, the work animal. Not the horse. The conqueror's symbol. The symbol of violence, of army, of oppression. The promise of his kingdom is repeated over and over again in Scripture. Micah, as well as Isaiah, speak of his peace and of his dominion. Micah says, And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations of our heart. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. That prophecy is repeated again. In Isaiah, we are also told they, thine hands shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, said the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds. I will cut off witchcraft out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more despair. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. Those who hailed our Lord on Palm Sunday cried out to him before the week was over. Their attitude had not changed. It was basically the same. For them, salvation was the overthrow of Rome. And this is what political salvation age after age amounts to. A bloodbath, a reign of terror, concentration camp. Salvation for the left is eliminating capitalists, the clergy, the middle class, reactionary. For the right is eliminating communists. For both it is suppression and even death. Biblical salvation is the elimination of sin and finally of death by the atoning, regenerating work of Christ. It is obedience to the law and work in terms of it, so that God's order, man's dominion is established. Our creation, because it is the work of God, 
establishes inescapable categories of thought and life for man. We can only think in certain channels, even when we are sinners, even when we rebel against wrong. We are created Man was created a law creature. We are men, and therefore must have law. Law gives us direction in our lives. Even in his fall, man echoes God's law. As a result, even sinful men faced with wrongs, age after age, have cried out for justice. Whether in Rome, in Egypt, in Babylon, or Syria, we find, when we go to their writings, this longing for justice. In the earliest time, we find in varying words the same thing said. Has not a face evil. Has not a face injustice. They cry out, someone must pay for this. That cry is as old as that. It is the cry of law. The cry of vengeance of restitution. However much then they talk about creating a love passion. They do cry out, someone must pay for this. Law is irrepressible. And this demand for law is in all men. The demand that someone must pay for this. But Fallen man, this means unbelieving of death. His only salvation is death on all sides. It means that he faces the sin within himself, masochistic activity, self-punishment. It means that he sees injustice in the world around him, unremitting death. There is no regeneration in his perspective. And as a result, revolutionists create reigns of terror, knowing that it will kill them finally. The very interesting fact is that after the French Revolution, the one thing that the socialists and communists of the world over and over again said is the fact that the reign of terror killed first of all the revolutionists. There was trouble in the leadership and they were busy killing one another. So they said we must do everything to prevent this from reoccurring. That in every revolution that has since occurred, including the Russian Revolution and the Chinese Revolution, Others like the Yugoslav, the Hungarian, and so on, have all had the same feature. They know that the only salvation they have to offer is death. Their answer to all problems is to kill. They cannot. Regenerate. 
The death of man cannot justify. It cannot redeem. It cannot atone. It cannot regenerate. Only Jesus Christ by his atoning death can bring regeneration and new life. Thus it is that our Lord, even as he cried out, bearing the cross, the tribulation of Dr. David said, after having undergone the most brutal kind of torture overnight, he declined almost to death. But still say to the weeping woman of Jerusalem, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, and the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the past which never gave such. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the graves, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall they do in the drop? All they had in Jerusalem was political salvation, and it will soon lead to the death of Jerusalem. But what he had to offer was not political salvation, not death, but life to the visible death. Our Lord, as he spoke to his disciples, spoke of political saviors as thieves and murderers. In John 10, 10, he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. He was described in all of that statements. Thieves come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I am come that they might have Life, that they might have it more at once. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy grace and mercy has given us Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and in him has given us life and life more abundantly. We thank thee in this blessed season for all thy promises to us in them, which are yea and amen. Make us therefore hold on to victory in this name. Trust us in thine service. Minister to our every need. Make us ever strong in Jesus' name. In his name we pray. We have one announcement. Our time is virtually over. I believe we have notices on the lectern in the back. Please take them. A week from tomorrow night in Pasadena, we shall have a potluck dinner, at which time Dr. Francis Nigel Lee, an English scholar, 
who is residing in South Africa, where we are speaking. Dr. Lee is an outstanding scholar. He is a holder of seven degrees, two of them PhDs. He is a theologian, a professor of philosophy, a ordained minister, a barrister of God of the Supreme Court of South Africa, a very notable scholar of his several works of England. He will arrive tomorrow morning and then will leave Tuesday for Arizona to speak there and will return to be with us over the weekend. I'm not entirely sure now, but he may be our speaker next Sunday morning as well as at the Catholic. The subject at the Catholic will probably be the eschatology or as the doctrine of the future of communism as against that of Christianity. He has just written an important work on this subject, which is in the process of being published in England. So I trust you will find to be a partner and will bring others as well. For any questions you have with respect to the partner dinner, please ask very bizarre partner. Let us bow our heads now for the benediction. Now go in peace, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Bless you and keep you, God. This day and the